0: As we come to uh, Jeremiah chapter number 3 again tonight, uh, as we did uh, about a month ago, the last time we were here, and uh, so I want to just mention out of these verses, we saw there in verse number 1, and we've spent most of these uh, messages, most of our time uh, in this chapter in verse number 1 and verse number 2, where the Bible says, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man shall he return unto her again, uh, mentioning a hypothetical situation upon which the Lord is going to use, uh, and he's going to use this situation that he is uh, that He has led the prophet Jeremiah to mention, that he has led him to ask them this question by way of his first prophetic message to Judah recorded here in the beginning verses of Jeremiah chapter 3. Uh, He brings up this hypothetical situation in order to uh, give the spiritual lesson in which the rest of the chapter is going to be dealing with. So he mentions about a man putting away his wife, giving her a bill of divorce, ending that relationship, and the wife going from him, marrying somebody else, and the Bible says, shall he return unto her again. We've already mentioned that under Old Testament law that that was not permitted. And uh, so what he's saying here is is that that, uh, that man, if he were to put away his wife, he could not restore that relationship once he chose to break that relationship. And God here is saying that Judah, and I believe by application you and I as well, have at times chosen to break off our relationship with him, and whereas under Old Testament law, there was no hope of restoration, the Bible says at the end of verse number one, even though they have broken their relationship, they have put distance between them and the Lord, their fellowship isn't what it needs to be. The Bible says, even though they have played the harlot with many lovers, this wasn't just a husband and a wife having an issue and the husband deciding to write a bill of divorce. No, he's saying that when it comes to Judah, when it comes to that southern tribe's relationship with God Almighty, they've done more uh, than just upset him to give him, the, uh, to make him write them a bill of divorce, but as a humanistic, a human husband and a husband, Human life. he said, "No, you didn't. We didn't just split up. Uh, you're cheating on me. You are committing spiritual adultery against me." And he still, despite that, increase in that even more desperate situation. He says, "I'm still willing to receive you back." Amen. He says in verse number one, at the end of, in the last phrase, he says, "Yet return again to me." Amen saith the Lord. We noticed in verse number one as we preach tonight, continue to preach tonight on the subject of cheating on God. We see in verse number one uh, that phrase where he says uh, he says, thou hast played the harlot with many lovers yet return again to me, saith the Lord. We saw that phrase thou hast and we spent uh, this time looking at the reality. Those two words thou hast speaks of the reality of their cheating on God. God's declaring that this is not uh, just a fault. This is not just uh, something that he has uh, decided to make up. This is not a hypothetical situation. He says when it comes to the, the relationship between God and his people, while there is no physical marriage between God and his people, there is a spiritual relationship between God and his people and they have broken the relationship spiritually and he's telling them this is not just something that I'm I'm being metaphorical with. This is the state of affairs uh, according to reality. Amen. So we see it's reality. We saw that it was a scriptural reality. We walked through the Bible and saw how throughout the scriptures men and women are prone uh, to spiritually stepping out of their relationship and serving other gods. So the scriptural reality then, we saw that it is a sad reality in verse number one and two and also in verse number four and five. We see God as he opens up his heart and lets us see how he feels about the situation. It was a sad reality because of the relationship of the guilty. In verse number one and two, he talks about their relationship. He talks about their marriage being picturing the relationship between God and his people. But then, not only was it a sad reality because of the relationship of the guilty, but because of the reply of God. God said in verse number four, uh, he wanted them to, uh, to reach out to them. He wanted them to ask him, will thou not from this time Cry to me my father, thou art the God of my youth, using my father as a term of endearment and uh, making steps back to uh, to mending the broken relationship there in verse number four. He said, I would like for you to ask me in verse number five, will he keep his anger forever? Or will he reserve his anger forever? Rather, will he keep it until the end and I believe the reason why he is doing that is because he wanted the opportunity to reply to them as we see he does mention later on in this chapter that he is not going to reserve his anger forever he does not want to keep it to the end he wants to see them restored he wants to see them repent he wants to see them return amen Amen. Amen. And so we see God letting us know how He feels about their sin, how He feels about their betrayal. He yeah. said at the end of verse number five, "Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldst." He said, "You, you said as you, your words have been as evil as they could be against me. Your actions." have been as evil as they could be against me. And the amazing fact of it all, as we will look at, as we continue reading in this passage, is that despite all of that, God, is still willing for you and I that have walked away from him, you and I that have sinned against him and we regard iniquity in our heart and we're not where we need to be with God in any any time where that is the situation of our spiritual condition, God still desires for us to come back and to return. And I thank God for that. Amen. 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 I love where the next few verses he talks about in verse number six and I'll deal with this more in a minute but he says, the Lord... Uh, said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree and there hath played the harlot. But we see the words of verse number seven where he said, And I said, After she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. Amen. What a blessing that is. Yes. Amen. Amen. As we looked at this, we saw the reality of cheating on God. But I want us real quickly to move on to the next thought and that is the results of cheating on God.
1: Notice what the Bible
0: says in verse number three. As we preached in the last section, the last part, as we saw the reality of cheating on God, we we preached verse number one and two and verse number four and five. We we skipped over verse uh, three and four uh, for the time being. I believe it is to to make this next point. Notice what the Bible says in verse number three. Remember in verse number two, he's telling them what a reality it is that they are cheating on him, that they are committing spiritual adultery, that they are going after other gods. he's, He's speaking here. He uses a physical relationship to describe what Judah is doing to God spiritually. He says that they're playing the harlot with many lovers in verse Number one, he talks about them going to the high places, those, those high places where they would commit idol worship and they would give themselves over to idols and worshiping idols and sacrificing to idols. He goes on to talk about, he says, in C, in verse number 2, where well, there has not been lined with, he said, everywhere you go and everywhere we look, we see places where you have committed spiritual adultery and you have given yourself to idols. Amen. And you are a backslidden child of God. And by the way, whenever we put anything uh, between our relationship, between us and God, that's an idol. Amen. Right. And we are, if you are, have, and I've heard this said before, Lord, if you've ever been closer to God than you are today, then you're backslidden. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reality of it, amen? You're right. You're right. We need to pursue closeness with the Lord. God wants us to be close to Him and to uh, return to Him when we have sinned and get it under the blood, amen? Let's look at verse number three. Notice what he says. The Bible says the context of verse number one and two. Because of those things, notice what he says. Therefore, therefore, because of what's mentioned in verse 1 and 2, because of that, the showers have been withholden. He says, because of that, there have been no latter rain. And he says, thou hast a whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. I want to say this real quickly, uh, just, just for sake of our knowledge uh, of truth in the scriptures I, I've heard it said before, some of the greatest preachers I've ever known, and they, they put it this way, it's made it very easy for me to remember, uh, I've heard things like, when you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for, amen, amen. And it's a connecting word, amen, amen. there's two type, two different uses of the word therefore in your Bible, you'll find that that when you see the word therefore in your Bible, if, if you see the word therefore and you need to find out what it's there for, then you need to realize what the word therefore is being used to communicate with you out of the text that we're reading. There's two different ways the word therefore will communicate with us. The word therefore will either in that text indicate reason or result. It's either telling you why something is happening or it will tell you what is happening based on what is being said. Here in verse number three, we find that the word therefore is here, not necessarily indicating simply reason, but also, but rather indicating result. So we're looking not simply at just the reality of it, as we've already looked at but the results of cheating on God. Notice what the Bible says, their infidelity resulted in. As we look at this text, we do certainly know that there were definitely some results that came with Israel and Judah committing spiritual adultery against God. Notice their infidelity spiritually resulted, number one, in their showers being restrained. Notice the showers that were restrained here in verse number three. He says, therefore, the showers have been withholded. They've been held back. They've been restrained. Because of Israel's sin, God has kept back the physical rain showers upon the land of Judah. Notice what the Bible said there in verse number three. He mentions the that have been withholden, and he mentions the latter rains. Look at your Bible there in verse three. He mentions the latter rains that he had not been allowing to take place. God is with restraining these physical rains from falling upon the nation of Israel. These showers mentioned in verse number three are what is known uh, historically in Israel as the former rains. You had the former rains and you had the latter rains, amen? And I don't think that's very complicated to understand, amen? These showers were the... Former rains, they would fall around November or so, the beginning of November in Judah every year, and it would be these rains, that uh, those showers that would come down that would get the ground ready for tilling, get it ready for preparation for their crops and the things that they would grow to feed them and their families. So those were the former rains. Those were the rains that came first. Amen. I I feel like I'm teaching elementary school class tonight. Amen. So if that's the former rains, then what would the latter rains be? Amen. I think it'd probably be the rains that came later. Amen. The latter rains. Amen. The former rains came at the beginning of November. The latter rains would come uh, between the, uh, usually fall between the end of March or early April there in Judah and these these uh, rains were literally uh, the the Jewish nation's final shot uh, for their crops uh, before the end of the year because if these if, if these latter rains did not get them the water they needed uh, in that part of the world, it was not going to rain very much before the former rains happened in November again. So this was their last shot at receiving what they needed to grow their food and to grow the things that they would need to sell in their markets and uh, the things that were essential for their life uh, in uh, that dry land of Palestine. So notice what the Bible says here in verse number three. God says, because of their sin, he has withholding those former rains, those showers, those heavier rains that would fall in November. And then he he has caused the, the Bible says in verse three, and there have been no latter rains. Let me say this. I think this would create a, Pretty difficult situation yeah, sure. if you lived in you lived in Judah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you if you were especially if you were a farmer by trade, you would be uh, pretty nervous at this time. That's right. Let me say this, these showers, these uh, latter rains, the rains that came upon Israel's land that gave them what they needed in order to uh, produce their food and their crops and give them the ability to sell, those things depict for us God's blessings upon the nation of Judah. this That was God blessing them with things, blessing them with material uh, material wealth and riches and substance that they needed to go forward. God says this, Israel, uh, Judah, because you sin, I'm cutting off the blessings. Can I remind you of this tonight? God will never bless sin. That's right. He'll never bless sin. If we are engaged in sin, we should not blame God for the blessings being cut off in our lives. I know the Bible teaches us that God, uh, the sun rises and sets and God reigns on the just and the unjust. I know God is good to us when we're unjust. I know there's lost people tonight that are enjoying the good things of God, but we must remember that what is true for the lost crowd, God being merciful to them, does not necessarily have to be true about the children of God. You know better. When you sin, you are sinning out of a heightened sense of rebellion because you know what's right and still choose to sin against it. These, these individuals in Judah, they have been, I believe that there is something to be said about those who know the truth and sin against the truth as opposed to those that do not know the truth as you and I know the truth. I believe God's judgment will be stronger on you and I that know the truth than on those that do not know the truth. I still believe the Bible says that judgment must begin at the house of God. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required, amen. If God has given you the truth, friend, you're responsible for the truth and if God has given you light, you need to make sure that you're not sinning against the light, amen. Amen. If you do, you can know this, friend, God's not gonna bless your sin. God's not gonna pour blessings upon your sin. These showers were with strength. You say, preacher, I don't believe it. God will hold back the blessings when I'm in sin. Number one, I say that's about as foolish as it can be. Amen. But then number two, let me give you some verses. Amen. That proves that that's the case. Amen. Write this one down if you're taking notes. Proverbs 11 and verse number 21. Here's what the Bible said. God inspired these words, by the way. The Bible said, though hand joined in hand. The wicked shall not be unpunished, they may. End. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Amen. Amen. Nahum 1:3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And I thank the Lord for that. And will not at all acquit the wicked. Amen. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind, in the storm, and the clouds, are the dust of his feet. Amen. Exodus 34, 7 says, keeping mercy for thousands, and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And under that, but and, and that will know uh, that will by no means clear the guilty is then the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and unto the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. Amen. If God is not going to let a lost wicked man that doesn't know anything about God be guiltless if he's not going to acquit him and his sin, why in the world will you and I think that because we're saved, we can live as wickedly as we want to and expect God to still bless us and expect God not to deal with us and expect God not to chastise us. Amen. I believe you and I as the children of God and God's merciful and I thank God for that. I think and you know, we're any one of us deserve uh, to be put in an early grave for any sin that we commit against God because He's been so good to us. looking at a preacher that's thankful for grace and thankful for mercy and thankful that we have a long-suffering God. But if the wicked's not going to be acquitted, why in the world should you and I that know who Jesus is and know what the the shed blood of Jesus Christ can do for us and know what it is to have all all spiritual riches in Christ Jesus to know what it is to have God pour abundant blessings on us and use our lives and touch us and bless us in prayer and bless us with the Word of God and have the Spirit of God speak does all of the wonderful things that God gives, and we still choose to rebel, and we still choose to go against Him, Why in the world? Should you and I expect for us not to be judged at a higher rate than the lost world that we're living in? Amen. You're right. So a result of Israel cheating on God was that we see that their showers were restrained in verse number three. But let me give you the second one. And not, not only were, the, were, were their, uh, their showers being uh, restrained, but we see that result number two is their shame being refused. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number three. And I'm going to just give a forewarning tonight uh, that in verse number three and in some of these following verses, we do find the Lord using pretty strong language here. And so because of that, I have to use the words of the text. I'm not being, I'm not being off color. I'm not trying to use words that get in mind. Uh, just in regular conversation, I do believe that we need to make sure that we're pure in our communication, not letting any corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. I think that's a sign of being filled with the Spirit of God. But I believe that the Lord gave these words to this prophet so that he could get the attention of those that the message was for, that the prophecy was for. He's trying to get the uh, the attention uh, of, of Judah that is is just so uh, just so uh, just blatantly rebelling against him. And we see this here in the text. We see their shame being refused. Notice what the Bible says in verse number three. Therefore, the showers have been withholding, and there have been no latter rain. That's the showers being restrained. But here is the shame being refused. Notice what he says. And thou hast a whore's forehead. Thou, notice these words, thou, the, the child of God here, the, the child of Israel here, mm-hmm. thou refusest to be ashamed. I think, that those, I think those are strong words. Yes, he, Here in this text, due to their sin of spiritual adultery, Jeremiah is again being forced to use strong language with them. He says in verse number one, he told them, thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. I, I think that's strong terminology. But here he goes on to say in verse number three that thou hast a whore's forehead. Same word, same occupation being mentioned, but God is seeking to get their cold, hard, rebellious heart trying to grip it and get their attention and help them to understand where they stand with him spiritually. I seriously doubt anyone in the building tonight has any question as to what Jeremiah is saying here when he, in verse number one, uh, uses the, uh, talks about playing the harlot with many lovers, and I doubt anyone is having any uh, having a hard time understanding what is being said here when he uses that word that he mentions that thou hast a whore's forehead. We've all heard this terminology and it isn't something that anyone would want to be called. Uh, However, Jeremiah here was not interested under the inspiration of God. He was not interested in being politically correct, but he was interested in preaching it correct. Amen. And there are some times when you, and you are looking at a preacher that believes in being very careful with what I say, being very careful with those that I'm preaching to, watching out when there's little ears that are listening. And even though outside of my children There's no children here in the sanctuary tonight I know uh, that chances are There's some that are listening And uh, and I hope that these are the first times That you're hearing words like this Amen I'm not trying to cause Any parents to have a whole lot of explaining to do uh, to their children. But when it comes to preaching a message like this, Jeremiah had to preach it right. He had to preach it correct. He had to preach the heart of God. And the heart of God had been broken. And the heart of God was turned inside out, burdened about his children, trying to get their attention so that in their coldness and in their rebellion, they would return to him and get their hearts right with him. So therefore, as a preacher of the word of God, I must in turn be at the same level of of bold in preaching uh, what God told Jeremiah to preach as well. Amen. He, Jeremiah, was calling out their sin exactly what it was. And can I say this? I would to God that in the United States of America we had more preachers I was willing just to call sin, sin again. Amen. Willing willing to say if black's black, white's white. Amen. Uh, You just write down the line if it's in the word of God. Amen. That's what we need. Amen. Anything contradicting this book we need to preach against it. It's wrong. It's abominable. It's sin. It's wicked. Amen. Amen. I, I think we need to get back to a place where our churches are willing to call sin for what it is and preach It's right, amen, and to call sin what it is, amen, and not just simply generalize what sin is, amen, preachers of yesteryear called sin out by their names, amen, you would have one sermon on one sin, they would blow that sin out of the water, then they'd come back in the next service, and uh, they would preach on another sin, and if you want to talk about preaching against sin, in our day we preach against sin generally, we talk about missing the mark of God, and I've done that, and I will still do that, we talk about displeasing the Lord, we talk about making God upset, amen, and uh, angering the Lord, or, or breaking God's heart, and we'll mention those things, but I think it's time we, in the United States of America get back to preaching against sin, preaching against fornication, preaching against adultery, preaching against alcohol consumption, preaching against drugs, amen, preaching against specific sin, wickedness of the heart, wickedness in our actions, amen, and that's what we find Jeremiah doing here in this verse, amen. He mentions a specific sin that They're engaged in spiritual adultery, or as he calls it here in verse uh, number one, spiritual harlotry, or as he mentions in verse number three, spiritual whoredom against God. Amen. And we see those that terminology used uh, throughout the Word of God. Jeremiah here is using under the inspiration of God this phrase, a whore's forehead. He mentions he said preach I don't I, I know I know what one of those terms mean but I don't know what the description means I know that the terminology here is he's he's using it to depict uh, 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 immorality he's using it to depict uh, looseness of morals but what does it mean to have the whore's forehead I believe he uses that term and in just the next couple of words he describes what the word means notice what he says he said thou hast A whore's forehead, comma, thou refusest to be ashamed. You see, he is... Saying that he, uh, he's describing that to that phrase that he uses, and he's telling Judah that I'm mentioning this because one of the primary characteristics of one engaged in the that profession of uh, of whoredom and harlotry, one engaged in that profession, in one of their primary characteristics is unashamedness. He's telling Judah, "You're sinning against me, and you're not even ashamed about it." Mm -mm -mm. Can I tell you this? I'm afraid that our churches are filling up with people Mm -mm. that will readily call themselves a Christian and readily readily commit sin, and they're not even ashamed about the sins they commit. Yes, sir. You're right. Say, preacher, I don't know about that. Well, if that's the case, you haven't been on social media lately. Yeah. How many people, I, I, I'm telling you, thank God, I don't have, I, we don't have trouble uh, too much about this here, amen. And I, I assume if we had trouble with this here, that person probably wouldn't uh, let me be a friend with them on Facebook to see it, amen. But but I'm telling, I've been in churches and I've seen church people, that people I've been in worship services with, and you see them online, and they're down at the beach, and they don't have any clothes on, and they they just stick it on there for the world and every preacher in town to see. Amen. They wonder why their preacher gets up on Sunday and they feel led to preach on nakedness. Amen. Mm If you're going to put it out, you're going to put it out in, in front of in front of the world, Amen. The, the preacher's not trying to target you, but he wouldn't be much of a preacher if he saw sin in his congregation. And the Bible said the shepherd's supposed to know the state of the flock, and he sees it. And he he wouldn't be very much of a shepherd if he didn't deal with it, Amen. Right. Yes, man. Amen. If you wonder why I preach some of the things that I do, if you're putting out for the world to see, don't be surprised if the preacher gets up and preaches on it. Amen. Sure. It's one thing if you're trying to hide it and the Lord lets the preacher know that he needs to preach on that and the preacher doesn't know uh, that someone in the congregation is dealing with it and the Spirit of God just leads him to. Uh, amen. But there's some times that you'll lead him to by your behavior. Amen. Right. And by the way, neither one of those is browbeating the sheep. None of those are a preacher trying to, uh, trying to get in your business, amen. By the way, can I say this? And I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm preaching right now, amen. Uh, let, let me say this. Ahead, the shepherds, shepherds of sheep are all in the sheep's business. You know why the sheep the shepherd if I can use that modern terminology, amen. You know why the shepherd's are in the sheep the sheep's business because it would be it would be absolutely detrimental to the sheep. If the shepherd took a step back, if the shepherd didn't have such an involved hand in their life and have such an involved hand in, in their day-to-day, amen. And I'm not saying that preachers ought to, be, uh, ought to be dictators. Y'all know me better than that by now, amen. But but we ought to be aware and we ought to be concerned with the state of our flock. And if you've got a Bible-believing preacher, and I am him, so I, I believe you do, amen. And if you've got a preacher that wants to help you, amen, and I believe you do. I believe this church has always had that, amen. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, uh, if, 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 if your preacher is anything, amen, whether it was me here at now as a pastor or Brother Caldwell years ago as the pastor here, if your pastor loves you at all, he will preach against your sin. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 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 Here we find Jeremiah being God's man for Judah, representing God to Judah and sharing with them, preaching to them boldly what us saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. He talks to them about their unashamedness toward their sin. Unashamedness is the primary primary characteristic of uh, it's the, the street walking profession of any generation. Uh, between Jeremiah's day and to this day. The forerunner commentary had this to say about that phrase, the whore's forehead. He said, uh, that commentary said, it represents the blatant, audacious sin of a street walker who is out in public, openly displaying what she is, promoting herself and tempting others to engage in sin with her. The whore's forehead represents the obdurate practice of sin uh, done overtly with no attempt to camouflage. When he talks about that obdurate practice of sin, he's talking about a stubborn practice of sinning that has no desire to change. It's not, you know, there are, I do believe that there are some people whose, and, and I'm not trying to be very graphic with this, but I do believe that there are some people engaged in that profession that he's using as an illustration here that their circumstances of life have drawn them to that profession. I, I do I do believe that, but whether it be their whether it be their raising, whether it be no spiritual influence in their life, whether it be driven there by finances or whatever the case may be, uh, or or God forbid something happened by you know way of human trafficking or something like that, they're brought into that lifestyle. And I understand I understand those situations. Not that I necessarily agree that you know if you're uh, facing financial difficulties, that's the way to make your money. I'm not saying that at all, amen, but I do understand there are some people that life brings into that and they believe in their heart of hearts that's the only option they have. That's not what's being dealt with here. Uh, Although, even in that profession at all, there has to be a level of unashamedness if you're going to continue to be involved in that. Here, it is speaking about the one that chooses that lifestyle and they engage in that lifestyle because they love the sin. They love the practice of that profession. They they will go out to a to a street corner and audaciously and blatantly show who they are and, and display themselves and let everybody know. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm doing and I'm I I'm working in this profession right now and you have to do that with a level of unashamedness if you're going to continue there. There's no attempt to camouflage. There's no shame in what they're doing. The, uh, go, the, the commentary went on to say that this relaxed and careless public acceptability of sin. I like this. And he said this relaxed and careless public acceptability of sin did not happen overnight. To get to that place where you'll sin and you're not even ashamed of it, that didn't happen overnight, folks. It was a gradual process. It was especially for those who claim the name of Christ, especially of those who have truly been born again, for you to get to the place where you are showing no shame over your sin, I promise you that did not happen overnight. You didn't just wake up in the morning saying, "You know what? I'm going to sin however I want to, and I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to do what I want to, and just turn it down, uh, just turn a blind eye to any result or any consequence that's going to come my way." That didn't happen when you woke up in the morning. You know, you know how that happens. You know how you get there in your walk with God. You, you, it, it starts with you and you sinning and you refusing to get it right. You putting distance between you and your confession of that sin. Uh, you ignore it. And, and then you, you, it, may, it may be what we would consider just a small act of rebellion. Maybe you didn't read your Bible today. Maybe you didn't spend time in prayer. Or maybe you used to spend 30 minutes in prayer. And now you said, I'm going to spend 10 minutes in prayer. Or five minutes in prayer Uh, It might be You used to be a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night And revival meeting Christian And then you just say Well uh, if our church has revival or special day I don't necessarily have to come to that I'll just come to the three main services And then you may just be a Sunday church goer Or maybe even just a Sunday morning church goer And it becomes a gradual process Right, right. A rebellion against God. That's yes. right. Here's what will happen if you engage in that long enough that that conviction that you feel you'll become detached to. That feeling of shame you will eventually become detached to, and it will be just, and here, here's the thing. If you're saved, the Holy Ghost of God is going to bombard you with conviction throughout the whole time. But you will get used if you're saved and you go down the path of backsliding, you will eventually over time get used to being backslid. That's right. Peter said you can be so backslidden you can forget that you were once right. purged right. of your right. own sins. Yep. I think the majority of people who doubt their salvation, it's not that they're lost, but it's been their bachelorette so long, it's hard for them to find any evidence of a spiritual life in their world at all. Right? Amen. There is an element of unashamedness when we look at this text, when we see the sin that they're engaged in, and he speaks to that end. He said in verse number three, thou refusest, To be ashamed. Go with me tonight to the book of Revelation. Chapter number 3. I'm going to conclude the sermon here tonight. Revelation chapter number 3. Notice what the Bible says. Look at me at verse number 15. If you know your Bible at all. You know Revelation 3, 14, 15. All the way down to verse number 22. Is dealing with the, the church of Laodicea one of those seven churches of Asia Minor mentioned in Revelation. We we look look at verse number 14. The Bible said, the angel of the church, I believe that speaks of the pastor, the messenger of the church, of the Laodiceans. He said, right. The angel said, right. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I could take time to preach that, but I'm not going to. That's not the part of the text I'm after tonight. Notice verse 15. God said, "I know thy works; that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, you know what lukewarmness is. Mm-hmm. It's a state of back, being backslidden. Yes, if you're hot for God, you're where you need to be with the Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm. If you're cold." That could, either be, uh, uh, that could either be a great level of being backslid to where Peter said, where you've forgotten, you're purged of your old sin, you're not doing anything for God, or more than likely, being cold for God could represent being lost. Hot for God, saved, right with God, cold, no spiritual temperature at all, lukewarm, is saved, but you're not where you need to be with the Lord. You're not cold, but you're not hot either. Notice what he says. He goes on to say, but because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Lukewarmness makes God sick. Verse 17. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what the Bible said. God said these words. Jesus said this. Because thou sayest, I am rich. Can I say this this evening? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has never been richer than it is today. That's right. Amen. That's right. We have greater buildings than we've ever had. We have more money than we've ever had. Our people give more than any group of Christians down in the generations have ever been able to give. We have more at our disposal. We can reach lost souls. Uh, I mean, you, think, you think about it. In the course of Jesus' ministry, Jesus never traveled more than around 70 miles from home in the course of his entire ministry. Mm. You and I tonight with what we're doing tonight, not just what we're having with the service we're having here, but by the fact that we can set up a camera and we can broadcast out on the worldwide web. I can reach more than hundreds, even thousands of miles across the world yes, with what I'm preaching tonight. Yes, sir. We, if, if if things and and if things continue the way they usually do, there will be some point in time this week where I'm going to get a like on that broadcast from Brother Arnold out yep. yep. One of our missionaries in the Philippines. Yep. Yep. He's always on. Welcome, Brother Arnold. Thank you for being here. Amen. <laughs> but Amen. But Amen. <laughs> he, he lives in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he watches the broadcast, and he hears the preaching uh, on on Sundays uh, uh, at early morning, around 1.30 a.m., two a.m. If you were to be up and pull up your Facebook, you could literally watch Brother uh, Adrian Hendricks, our mission, our, our missionary. Uh, you could watch his broadcast through Facebook. Wow! From the other side of the world, I'm not going to say where he's at. It is a closed nation. Amen. may other side of the world. You can watch him preach. You can watch his church service, amen. I've been able to watch Brother Marvin Jose, one of our missionaries to the Philippines, preach online here in these days. Amen. With this technology, you can get the word of God farther than even Jesus got his messages. He was able to stand on mountains and they, they would hear him. Our churches are richer than they've ever been, right? We have more goods, we have more ability than we have ever had as the as church of Lord Jesus Christ. And that kind of that kind of wealth, that kind of blessings will cause you and I to say, I have no need of anything. I have need of nothing. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I think so many times we as believers can come to the place in our walk with the Lord, come to the place with our religious culture. We, we understand how to go to church. We know how to dress for church. We know how to talk when we get here. We know how to sing the song. We know all there is to know about church. And we'll say, I don't have need of anything. We, we, we pretend like we're more spiritual than we are. And I believe that's one of the plagues of our day is you and I will get to the place where being backslidden is just another part of our day to day life. We, we can, because here, here's, here, I guess here's what I'm trying to say. You can be, if you, uh, especially here in the South, we know how to go to church. You can come into church and you can sing the songs. You can go through the motions. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can even try to preach a sermon. Completely and totally backslidden. You won't have the blessings of God, but we know how to go through the motions. We know how to to live the Christian life, at least as far as the profession of one being backslidden. And because of that, we continue on in our backslidden condition. We allow it to just continually develop over time and then when you, when you get to where that path takes you, you're no longer ashamed of your sin the way you used to be. You're no longer broken about your sin the way you used to be. When was the last time you, you, when, you, when you repented of the sin, you repented in tears? Where are tear-stained altars in the day that we live in? There used to be a day where we didn't have altars, but we had mortar's benches. Amen, preacher? There used to be a day where you could have church any, any 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 service and when people got up off the altar there'd be puddles of tears. Where are our tears today? Where are our broken hearts? Not only over lost people going to hell in their sin. Where's our tears over our own sin? And we wonder why we don't have revival. We wonder why we're not more used to the Lord than we are. I think we need to get back to the place, beg God to help us when we we sin against Him, to get it under the blood. As the old-time preachers used to say, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Get it under the blood. Confess it as soon as you can so that you don't develop a heart of unashamedness to your sin. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.